News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 103 of the Luke Messias Show. Character matters. Religious liberty is just not enough. And if Republicans don't deliver results, most of our voters may leave our party. These are the three topics that we're going to cover today on the Luke Messias Show. First and foremost, character counts. And this was kind of brought to light within two different postings that were done um, this week, one by former Texas GOP chairman James Dickey and the other by Representative Briscoe Kane. James Dickey um, posted about Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is a Georgia congresswoman who's in the news a lot. Um, she's a little nutty, and now a bunch of people have come out and decided that she like can't be a congresswoman. By the way, crazy people um, can get elected to office, and then the more that comes out about them, if that's something that in no way aligns with the people that are in their district, and those people vote them out of office, right? AOC is kind of that way with the crazy things that she has said, things that could literally lead to massive loss of life, um, and she's in Congress. She's duly elected, unfortunately, for many of us, and hopefully at some point she'll be unelected. We would love it if even the Democrat Party would unelect her in the primary because she's in a district that's heavily Democrat and Republicans couldn't take it over. And if you disagree with Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, who's this woman from Georgia who I really have not spent any time even researching, but I would assume the more I do research her, I wouldn't be surprised if I disagree with a heck of a lot of things that she said. And if I was in Georgia and that mattered to me, I would take more time to research it, but I'm not, and it's not affecting me in any way. So that's not part of my life. But James Dickey, our former GOP chair, felt like it was, and uh, this is what he said. He said, it's frustrating. It frustrates me when the left won't call out their own who abandon all reason, looking at everyone who has stayed silent while AOC claims there are currently white supremacists in Congress. I refuse to be as hypocritical. And then he goes into calling out this uh, congressman from Georgia and says he disagrees with her and condemns her in all these ways. I actually commented on that. It was one of the 172 comments to just say this is the type of action we wanted to see from you regarding Dennis Bonin. And uh, just to rewind and remind everybody, most of you who are regular listeners to the show uh, have this context in mind, but James Dickey was the Texas GOP chairman when Dennis Bonin not only lied to the entire Republican Party, lied to his entire Republican caucus, but actually broke his own standard uh, and tried to and campaigned against Republican members of the legislature after he said he would punish everybody else if they did that. Um, he lied about the entire thing, lied to all of Texas and and tried to cover up his corrupt trade practices. And our Texas GOP chair not only uh, never felt the need to, in his words, um, call out his own. And by the way, when I say your own, you know, people often say this. They go, hey, what do you think about Marjorie Taylor Greene? She's not my own. She's not with me. She's not, I don't consider her part of my team, part of my tribe, part of what I do. I don't feel the need to condemn or call out because I literally don't know this lady 
from Adam, and Republicans are obsessed with like finding other Republicans somewhere across the nation in some other state doing some other thing that posted something years ago that they disagree with and then feel the need to publicly condemn it just seems kind of ridiculous to me. I don't see the prudence in it. I don't see how it's helpful. I don't see where it leads. But you know where we do have authority, responsibility, is within our own tribe, is within the people that we are around. And when James Dickey was chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, he not only stayed silent, he refused to go and listen to the recording when it was available to leaders like himself, who, in his words, could have called out his own. But he didn't do that. In fact, he didn't even go listen to it because then he would have been in a position to have to comment on it. Instead, he stayed silent. And I was a big supporter of James Dickey. He was one of our early podcast episodes, was an interview with him. Um, He's somebody who I strongly supported for re-election when the establishment came after him. But he changed his tune, and that's one of the things that led to the victories that Alan West, the victory that Alan West had. Um, And it's just unfortunate that uh, they're that all of a sudden we feel like calling out our own includes calling out some random GOP congresswoman from Georgia who's now in the news uh, when calling out our own really is what's directly around us. And here's the truth in politics. This is just something to keep in mind. Nobody wants to call out the people that they actually have to work with. It's like a rule, okay? So the Texas House will call out Congress all the time. But to call out one of their own legislative colleagues, woof, man, that is not done. In fact, it would be seen as disrespectful. There's kind of this gaslighting that goes on in the Texas House where you're told that even to disagree or to publicly disagree would be in itself disrespectful. So we've actually taken dissent and discussion and debate and made it actually synonymous with disrespect, which is really unhealthy within the Texas House of Representatives, within the Texas legislature, within Texas politics. It's really unfortunate that it's happened the way it's happened. So people like James Dickey, when they're a Texas GOP chair, don't actually feel like they can call out the corrupt Texas House speaker, but do, after they're the past GOP chair, feel like they can come out and call out and publicly condemn some Georgia congresswoman. And it doesn't matter. The people that should be taking action are people in Georgia and people who are in Congress. That's just the reality. And the people in Congress need to recognize, too, just to let y'all know, that they don't get to decide all the congressmen or women that are there. Those are decided by the voters. And then they can say what they want to say, but then let the voters within those individual areas decide who represents them. That gets us to Briscoe. Kane Briscoe tweeted out, Liberty is the only social, political, or economic arrangement that requires that we live to high standards of conduct and character and rewards us when we do so. The forceful hand of government cannot do this. While an accurate statement, it also brings to light, again, a situation where, uh, unfortunately, while Matt Schaefer and other conservative lawmakers, uh, Tony Tinderholt, John Smithy, all of these people were coming out and saying, hey, the corrupt speaker that we elected to be the Speaker of the House is corrupt. In fact, Matt Schaefer said it best when he said, the behavior we tolerate becomes the standard we set. And that's just a great illustration to say why a legislator should take a position on a corrupt speaker. And this is you know, news from a summer and a half ago, right? But it matters today because it helps establish where we are as a state and the mindset of our governing officials. It's a lot easier to today say we need to live, we were required to be to live at high standards and conduct of character, and to reward us when we do. Actually, if those people who believe in liberty have that standard 
than they would have opposed. And, and while Matt Schaefer and other conservative lawmakers um, like Tony Tinderholt and Kyle Biederman were working and, and rightfully publicly holding Dennis Bonin accountable, you know, Briscoe Cain was working behind the scenes to keep that corrupt speaker in power. Luckily, he was not victorious and Dennis Bonin left. But unfortunately, um, there wasn't not only not a high standard set at that point, but there wasn't actually a desire to reward people of based on their character. Um, the Texas legislature likes to reward people based on their power, not their character, and it's not a helpful thing. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because we are in the middle of a legislative session, and the reality is that you Texans are going to have to work harder than ever to make sure that the culture is changed. And we already are seeing several lawmakers begin to step up and say, we are going to fight hard to advance conservative issues this session, conservative policy results this session, while many of the leadership are trying to get as little done as possible. And we've seen a significant delay in the legislative process. Um, we... The legislature so far has basically done less business than they would have ever done at this point in time. So it means that when they come back, and that's on February 9th, on February 9th, the legislature will reconvene. They're taking a big break because they'd had a couple different meetings, and the you know hour or so that they had spent together on the floor was enough for the first month of the legislative session, essentially. So they're going to come back on February 9th, and they're going to have to hit the ground running in order to accomplish anything conservative. That's what's going to be important. There are two things that you should look for if you're a Texan this week. One is that the governor is going to give his state of the state. By the time you're listening to this, he'll have already given it. It's going to be given on Monday night at 7 p.m. I'm recording this Monday afternoon. So in five hours approximately, Governor Abbott is going to give his state of the state where he's going to lay out his vision for where Texas should go this session. Now, keep in mind, Governor Abbott comes to this state of the state with two things. One, he's already doing a lot of work that the legislature should be doing with his emergency orders. He is limiting business activity. He has told different businesses you may only operate at 50% or 70% capacity, which is making it harder for restaurants and bars and these other institutions to stay open and make a profit. He has said that Democrat local officials may be empowered to be even more tyrannical within their orders in many of these areas, and that is hurting businesses even more. These are things that the legislature should take action on. But he has done that. So part of what he wants to accomplish, he doesn't even need the legislature for. But generally in the state of the state, if a governor sees himself as just the executive and not the also the legislative branch, you come to the state of the state to tell the legislature what you want him to do. With Abbott, we've seen that basically if you don't do what he wants you to do, then he'll just wait till the legislature's out of session and then he'll just pass it all with an executive order. So that's one reason why the legislature has to take action this session to reform all of the sections of code that Abbott has wrongfully interpreted to give him near dictatorial unilateral authority over all Texans and their lives. So his state of the state should be watched. If, he, if you haven't watched it, go back and watch it. At least Google and read. The scorecard will post about it. I'm sure other outlets will write about it as well, about what all he covers. And this is going to set forth an agenda for what he believes should be accomplished. We have nine legislative priorities that the Texas Republican Party has put forth. And right now we have a lot of elected elites that don't want to focus on those priorities. That's just the reality. They don't believe that the thousands of hours, the thousands of votes that took place within the Republican Party process to ensure that these priorities were set forth as things that should occur and come into law this session actually are produced into legislative victories and results. That's not their priority. Now, Abbott may give one or two of these priorities lip service. He might even actually support them 
One of them we're going to get into here in a second. But the reality is that he's going to set forth his agenda. That will give us an idea of, one, the type of platform he would like to eventually run for president on, because Governor Abbott absolutely wants to run for president in 2024. So he's going to be, we're going to begin to see the type of platform he wants to take to the American people when he tries to run for president. And then we're also going to see how much he is concerned about the Republican priorities. And so that's another thing you can be looking for. The other thing you should keep your eyes out for is that this week we are expecting to see the committee assignments from Speaker Dave Phelan. And what does that mean? He is going to appoint chairman and then individuals on each of the committees. And the committees are what see the specific areas of governance. So if you are the committee chair of higher education or public education or human services or health, public health, you now as chair get all the bills that have to do with your area in public safety, let's say guns, police officers, and then you get to decide as chairman whether or not you even hear those bills, whether you have a vote out of committee on those bills. A chairman can do anything he wants with any piece of legislation that his committee has given. So you're given a king-like authority position. Joe Strauss and Dennis Bonin heavily empowered Democrats within the process. Um, Joe Strauss had Sinfonia Thompson chair local and consent, which meant that no Republican member could pass even a local bill that had to do with their local rural county unless Sinfonia Thompson signed off on it. And she used that authority to bully Republican members into voting for Democrat priorities to ensure that they stayed in line. And if they did not, she did not let their legislation come out of her committee. Dennis Bonin took her out of that position of power, but he placed her in a committee where she got to oversee the heartbeat bill last session, which Shelby Slauson has filed. The um, Freedom Caucus came out and prioritized. Last session, Dennis Bonin single-handedly killed that piece of legislation with the appointment of a liberal Democrat pro-choice person as chairman of public health. So the question's going to be, will Dade Phelan keep her and Democrats in power over gun and life legislation, or will he strip them of their committee positions and put Republicans in that position? I want to clarify something, and most of you know this, but Republican chairmen kill a lot of Republican priorities, too. Okay, I mean, we have a lot of Republican priorities that die in Republican committees every single session, and that's going to be a battle again this session. But if a Democrat's given the chairmanship over a committee— that is going to see one of our Republican priorities, a conservative priority that conservative Texans care about, guess what? That legislation is now dead on arrival. So we're going to see what areas Dade Phelan is going to give Democrats unilateral authority over and what areas he's not. Uh, I think the best situation, because Dade has said he's going to appoint Democrats to chair committees, and Brian Slayton led uh, two amendments that he offered, one that said that Democrats should not chair top committees in the House, and one that said they shouldn't chair any committees at all. There were only six members of the legislature that voted with Brian Slayton to say no Democrats should chair committees at all. Those six were Jeff Kaysen, Brian Slayton, Tony Tinnerholt, Kyle Biederman, Mays Middleton, and Phil Stevenson. And so outside of them, all of the other Republicans are saying we think Democrats should have these unilateral positions of power. And now the question is, which arenas is Dade Feeling going to give them that power in? So that's an unfortunate situation we are in in Texas, but it's going to happen, and we're going to get to see. We will also see where he takes Democrats away, and I think what we are going to see, I'm predicting that Dade Phelan is going to strip Democrats of key positions uh, within the committee process, and he is going to take them out of chairmanships where they can unilaterally kill the Republican uh, priorities. There are several legislators who have been leading the charge to demand this publicly, and I think that's created a ton of pressure within the Republican caucus who knows that Democrats can't be empowered like they were two years ago. So I think the pressure on Dade Phelan is high enough where he's going to take Democrats 
out of those positions. But it'll be interesting to see where else he puts them in. One of the things that I suspect we're going to hear from Greg Abbott um, is that I would not be surprised if he comes out and supports religious liberty legislation that was recently filed by Kelly Hancock and Jeff Leach. Um, Kelly Hancock from North Richland Hills, Jeff Leach from Allen, Texas. And um, I think this is a great opportunity to um, draw attention to an op-ed that was written by Ryan Anderson in the Wall Street Journal. If you're not familiar with Ryan, he is phenomenal, leading, philosophical, social conservative voice uh, within our nation. And had a great op-ed called Religious Liberty Isn't Enough. So first, let me talk about the legislation that's happening. Um, Kelly Hancock and Jeff Leach have filed a bill, and uh, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I'm going to give you like a, a, a simpler version. Essentially, the bill says that churches cannot be shut down during the course of an emergency pandemic or any declared emergency, I believe, by the governor. Um, so... This policy uh, is – well, there's a couple things about this. One, this bill kind of like is Republicans patting themselves on the back um, because while we had a governor who dictatorially, unilaterally shut down a ton of businesses and said, you are essential, you're not essential, you're not allowed to put food on your uh, table to feed your family, but you are, you can only do it if you get half the customer base you used to have. I mean literally willy-nilly – left and right, shutting businesses down, major control over all sorts of people's lives. But the one thing Abbott said after getting some pressure after his first set of executive orders was, hey, churches are not expressly protected. So he put in express protections of churches saying churches can't be shut down during this time. So now we're going to pass a law that basically says Governor Abbott was right, which is really interesting because Governor Abbott was completely wrong during this pandemic and has governed like a dictator in many ways. And now we have a couple Republican politicians who want to pass a law to say the one group of people that Abbott did not shut down cannot be shut down. Well, how about this? Let's just not have governor shut people down, period. But I want you to draw your attention in another way, too. Republican, the Republican Party for a long time has always tried to find a way to give lip service to social religious conservatives. Social and religious conservatives make up a huge voting block within the Republican Party, and they have to be given something. Texas has been falling when it comes to how pro-life we are. Most states around us are continuing to soar past us in the rankings because they're passing stronger pro-life bills, some even governed by Democrats like Louisiana. Um, we have not taken issue of the sexual revolution and the fact that we are literally one of the hubs that will transition your children from one sex to another. We will take a boy and change him into a girl. We'll take a girl and change her into a boy. And we will start with them in Texas at two and three years old, and that will culminate with genital mutilation surgery in their teenage years. That's crazy. This is happening in Texas. Ryan Anderson, who has been a leader on all these issues, wrote a great op-ed called Religious Liberty Isn't Enough. The uh, subheadline was cultural conservatives also need to defend our views, which are scientifically sound and popular. He talks about how Biden's administration is going to come down on social and religious conservatives. He said, we must resist. Uh, the conservatives, therefore, must resist. We need to resist Biden. Yet in doing so, we must avoid the trap of framing every debate as if it were about religious liberty. Well, why? Because that's kind of been our mantra. In fact, for a long time, social conservatives have been like, hey, as long as we just have that religious liberty in place, we are good to go. And I think Ryan Anderson does a phenomenal job of saying, no, 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 no. That's not how we want to frame this discussion. 
And here's how he expands upon that point. Religious liberty is important, but it's only part of the story. As the Biden administration advances a divisive and extreme social agenda, our response can't simply be a polite request to be left alone. We need to oppose the left's agenda on the merits. It's the principled thing to do, and it will be good politics given where the American people actually are on the issue. And he goes through several different examples which, uh, you know, will be discussed, whether it's abortion or these gender, these crazy gender religion that the left um, is really embracing fully as part of its party's mantra. I mean, we have uh, Joe Biden who appointed uh, a woman, uh, a man who thinks he's a woman, uh, to head up, really want be one of the top officials within our health care agency on a federal level. And, um, and that shows the complete embrace of this sexual religion that Joe Biden has uh, subjected himself to. And it's very unfortunate. Ryan Anderson lays out why Republicans often lose. And he also explains why Republicans in this article, and he doesn't say it explicitly, so I'm now bringing this from. So he doesn't say this is why Republicans lose. Let me make sure I don't speak for him. Ryan Anderson brings clarity to the reality that it's this type of positioning of ourselves that has given us all of these losses in the culture. Because we often are like, hey, we don't have better ideas than the left. We just don't think their ideas should come in on our ideas. Or, as an example, guess what? Our refusal to... Let me, let me say this. Our refusal to actually fight for and advocate for our positions and advance our own policy agenda, instead of just saying religious liberty, nothing can change, the status quo can remain the same, is what has led to voters having such a fond view of Donald Trump. So Rasmussen recently did a uh, survey, and 53% of GOP voters say it's a good idea for Trump to start a third party. 30% of Republicans say a third party would be a bad idea, and 17% are not sure. It's not 53 to 47, by the way. It's 53 to 30. By a 23-point margin, Republican voters think Trump should start a third party. Why? Because they know that Republican, the Republicans as a brand, guess what? Republican elected elites Part of your brand is that you don't actually like advancing your own agenda and items. You don't actually like advancing policy that holds to the worldview that you espouse. That's not how Republicans are branded. By the people that vote for you. And maybe Republicans got away with it for so long because so many of our standard bearers, be it Bush or McCain or Romney, or any of these people, were largely in that ilk as well. But the second Donald Trump got elected and Republicans got a taste of what it felt like to have somebody who actually had a plan and wanted to see that plan turned into as many laws as possible, they realized they actually like getting results. And so now it's almost a challenge to the Republican Party elected elites. Deliver results or these people are gone. And that is where we are at right now. That is where the Republican Party is at right now. The reason that Greg Abbott's state of the state is so important, the reason that Dade Phelan's committee assignments are so important here in Texas is that it is going to decide what these 53% of voters do. And they're not loyal to the Republican Party. They're not loyal to the Republican state representative. They're not loyal to their Republican congressman unless they think that party is a party that is determined and resolved 
to deliver results to the voters that elected them. We have control of Texas. We being the center-right Republican Party of Texas. Are we going to do anything with it? That has yet to be revealed to us. But the good news is we do have several elected officials who are fighting hard to deliver those results. And the question is whether the rest of the Republican caucus in the House and the Senate will wake up and whether Governor Abbott will realize that his past purple sessions will not be tolerated by these voters anymore. These voters will leave. Every single pollster can poll them, and they will all say the same thing. We'll leave tomorrow in a heartbeat if we think that the party has been returned to a party that is not dedicated and resolved to deliver conservative results. I hope you have a blessed week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messia Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you, and God bless Texas. Uh-huh.